Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free audiobook just for signing up for a free trial. Here we are, episode 101 of the Book Guys Show. My name is Paul Alves. Joined this week by our special co-host, the one and only Craig Damlo. How are you, Craig? I am doing excellent. And what's the weather like in Seattle? Sunny as always. Just like Philadelphia, always sunny. And we are joined by one of our listeners and slash Twitter, Twitter followers, Donald Holbin. How are you, sir? I'm good, Paul. How's things in Toronto? Oh, very good. How's things in Toronto, Don? <laughs> yeah, nice and warm. <laughs> uh, it's been a great day in Toronto, actually. 12 degrees Celsius, which for us is like summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's that in a normal temperature scale? <laughs> you know, Don, uh, we, we, love having, we love having our <laughs> listeners on the show. In fact, Professor Allen and Sir Jimmy at one point were listeners. So it's kind of cool. Awesome. Great to have you aboard. Thank you now, for having uh, me. Today's guests, if they can make it in time, we don't know what's going to happen. Johnny Walker is his code name, and he was an Iraqi translator in the Iraq War, the second Iraq War. And uh, his book is co-written by Jim DeFelice, who is also the co-writer on Chris Kyle's American Sniper book, which I thought was a wonderful book. And uh, Craig, no, I have no windows here. I'm not worried that Chris Kyle is going to shoot me. It's, it's always safer to have no windows. Yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> Whether you're in Iraq, America, or Canada, it's always safer. <laughs> so, uh, guys, uh, Craig, a- anything new on your book uh, list? Uh, yeah, I'm continuing uh, my theme of air disasters and have been reading one, uh, Air Disasters, uh, Volume 1, The Propeller Era. Ooh. Which, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's... Uh, Especially because the the regulations were so much less, and uh, the technology in, in essence was less. But it's still amazing how much they could find out from plane wrecks, uh, and and then it's kind of also amazing just things that happened. Uh, one of the stories in there was a, uh, a United and an American uh, airplane that crashed. Uh, they hit each other above the Grand Canyon, and I remember um, that one. Yeah, and and the book goes through and details how they knew the angle and the speed of both airplanes when they hit based on the wreckage, despite the fact that there wasn't that much wreckage left. I mean, I think combined, they they were only able to identify less than half of the passengers on the flights. Yeah, that was something. I remember seeing, I'm a big fan of the aviation myself. I watch Mayday a lot. I do flight simulators, so this is... Definitely something that interests me as well. No, no, Craig, one thing that amazes me about the propeller era, and I've seen the, the schematics of these things, is the, the machine guns sometimes were stationed behind the propeller. <laughs> and it worked on this yeah. gear, gear system. So literally the bullets were flying between the revolutions of the, uh, the propeller, but the gears were worked out in a mechanical way so that each bullet was going between each propeller. And you, you watch these old uh, World War II, World War I things. Sorry, World War II. And the bullets are literally going through the propellers. And if those gear system was off by like a, you know, a split second, that thing's going down, you know? Well, you know what actually is uh, amazing to me is that that was something they had to 
come up with and create that they actually mounted guns behind the propellers without the gear at first and learned. Oh, you're through, kidding. I didn't through, even know that. <laughs> yeah. They That's actually, crazy. They sheared off propellers. That's yeah, sheer that insanity. Well, yeah, you can go back to some of the archival footage and you can see where the, before they had the, inter- the interrupter gear, where sometimes the planes do make it back home, but there's huge knot sized holes in the propellers all over them just because they didn't have the interrupter circuit. Yeah, and that's uh, it, and speaking of big holes and still flying, that the uh, this year, <laughs> this year the uh, U.S. military is retiring the A-10 Warthog, which is my favorite airplane. Ooh, the Vulcan gun. Yeah, well, and if you remember during the first Gulf War, since we'll be talking about the second one later, there was that A-10 that was flying a mission over Iraq, and it actually had a, you know, it was it was a significant hole bigger than a basketball sized hole blown in its wing yep. and continued to fly wow. fine and landed back at base. Well, there was, there was like a 747 like once that uh, lost pressure and the whole roof was ripped off and they did lose like three people. Three people. No, that, that wasn't a 747. Aloha. That was, was a low high air. Right. 737. Yeah. The 747 was a couple years ago, an oxygen bottle let loose. Oh, so which 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 one lost the roof? The airplane. And I know they lost. They, they had three casualties, but well, what plane was it? Aloha Air. They lost. Uh, I think it was a flight attendant, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it was just one. Yeah, seven three seven. Well, there, there was, was also uh, recently two injuries and, and one fatality. Well, you still call it ca- right. casualty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was that Southwest earlier. It was last year, the year before that uh, the roof peeled open on uh, taking off out of Phoenix too. Yeah. Well, I think they should make that a design, like. Uh, you know, convertible airplane. <laughs> convertible. Everyone wear your 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 mask, but we're you know we're taking the the the, the top down. I don't know. Just saying. Don't well, put yeah, it past like... the uh, princes on their private jets. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem with those things is you only get like what is it twelve minutes on the uh, the uh, the oxygen system. Uh, depends on the uh, oxygen system. Twelve and twenty two are the most yeah. common. Oh, you know, Donald, sometime, obviously, we have to sit down because uh, that's what I do uh, on, in my day job is design oxygen systems for aircraft. Ooh, nifty. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm reading, uh, I just started, uh, Sir Jimmy recommended this one, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years by Russ Baker. Uh, quote from Gore, Gore Vidal is, this is one of the most important books of the past 10 years. I'm just starting that now. I don't know if it's that important yet. I'm only I'm only about an hour in, but uh, it's a 24-hour and eight-minute audiobook, and apparently it's fascinating. It's all about the not the Amheiser Bush. We're not talking about <laughs> you know brewing secrets or Bud, Budweiser. This is the Bush family, and uh, looks interesting. I'll check it out. I'll I'll come back to you guys in about a week with that one. Yeah, yeah, I've read that. It's uh, it's a good book. Now, Donald, fellow Torontonian, yes, sir, and listener and and tweeter. Anything in your uh, nightstand or your Kindle, or your iPod or Android phone? Oh, uh, man, like I like I think I told, told you last week, the stuff I read is more like IT sort of stuff. Well, like that's I'm sort good. Of teaching myself uh, how to do Windows Active Directory and oh, so hang, my, hang, uh, hang on, hang on, no, we got to do this. Hang on, we got to do this first. It's not the first time we've talked about IT stuff. So what you got? What you got, Don? 
Uh, basically, um, I've been doing this for a while. I've been working on people's computers. I actually volunteered at a Salvation Army shelter down the street a couple of years back, setting up a, a little network for their clients to come in and uh, look look for housing. And well, th- thank you for your service, like first of all. Oh, no problem. <laughs> so it's just sort of a natural evolution. I got friends that are in the business, and this is sort of what they've recommended. So I'm sort of self teaching myself this. It's so, tricky. Right. So that's great that you're volunteering <laughs> and helping out there with the Salvation Army. Uh, do you have a Salvation Army down in the States, Sally Ann? Uh, yes. A, uh, it's uh, kind of North America wide, is it not? Yeah. Worldwide, I, I think, aren't they? Yeah, nice. they are actually the only uh, occupying military in the U.S. Oh, there you, there you go. <laughs> Other than the Canadians when we go down there. We occupy and we drink your beer. That's yeah, about all we do. <laughs> <laughs> So, Don, uh, you've been following me on Twitter, and I, I was going to announce this with uh, Professor Allen and uh, Sir Jimmy, but I am considering running for council in my ward in Toronto. So, I just wanted the folks to know at home that at some point I may give up being the host of Book Guys Show and uh, acquiesce and bow down and let Professor Allen, Sir Jimmy, and Craig and Don and everyone else run the show. I'll still show up as a guest. I might show up as a guest every week. Who knows? Hey, you'd be awesome at it. Kind of skirting the rules, and uh, you can't be an on-air personality, you know, basically on Why the not? show. Why not? Ford's doing it. Uh, no, no, actually, he doesn't. Uh, he did the, YouTube. He did the city, but as soon as he announces on April 17th at the Tobago Civic uh, Center, he will not be allowed to be an on-air personality. I will still pop in, chime in, send in audio, but I won't be able to be the main host. I believe, I'm still going to check with uh, City Hall, I think I can still produce the show. I won't be the host, but I'll still, folks, I'll still be here. The Book Guys show. But um, uh, hopefully I can get one of the uh, 40-some-odd votes in Toronto and uh, stop some of these morons from doing what they're doing. Oh, I know. It's just depressing. Oh, <laughs> uh, Craig, it's nuts. I, I just uh, I forget her name. One of the counselors, she proposed to shut down uh, a main artery in Toronto, which is Blur Street, by the largest park, picture, it's our Central Park. Okay, so if you're in New York, it's Central Park. High Park is Toronto's Central Park. She wants to shut down the street on the north end of that park so that families can have somewhere to go and congregate in the middle of the road. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and going, but High Park is literally... Five feet away. If you want to take your family out, go to the park. You don't have to shut down an artery. Yeah, there's yeah. thousands it, it, of square feet there. <laughs> well, you know, Don, what tell, that tells me is you obviously have the wrong priorities as far as our city goes. And uh, I'm just sick and tired of watching. Hopefully one day I will have one of the votes. Yeah, you, hey. should, uh, you should see one of our city councilors in Seattle. She's uh, the first uh, socialist, uh, openly, uh, I guess, declared socialist on the city, Seattle City Council. Now, mind you... She is independently wealthy because her husband is uh, high up in Microsoft. But one of the things she wants to do is she wants to take over the Boeing factory and stop making airplanes and start making buses to help get people around the city so that they uh, have free transportation. Yeah, sh- shut down Boeing and, and, and wow. make buses. Good God. <laughs> that won't kill the economy down there. Well, well, Craig, we have that here in Toronto too and in Canada and, and all North America wide. If you're making – Let's say you're making $400,000 in your business a year and you give up your job 
to do a $100,000 counselor job, there's got to be corruption there somewhere. Or either that or you love the city. It's one or the other. It's got to be one or the other. Because if, if you're making three hundred grand a year, four hundred grand a year, and like, uh, like many presidents of the United States and prime ministers who give up a million dollars a year to make 200000 either you really love your country or your town, or somehow you're skirting the rules and you know, voting in a certain way that benefits your friends. Definitely. Just putting it out there. Uh, guys, we're going to take a quick break. Donald Holbin, thank you so much. Listener, Twitter follower. And by the way, folks, follow me on Twitter, Paul the Book Guy. Craig, what's your Twitter? Craig D. And Donald, what's yours? At Donald Holbin. Donald Holbin, H-O-L-B-N. Sorry, H-O-L-B-E-N. Follow Donald, follow Craig, follow myself. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will be with. It's not his real name, folks. Codename Johnny Walker, Iraqi translator during the last Iraq war. And Jim DeFleece, who is his co-writer. And he also co-wrote... On Chris Kyle's American Sniper, and we were joking before the show that maybe uh, Chris Kyle was out there somewhere going to shoot me in the head if I talk bad about his book, but thankfully, the studio has no windows. We, we will be right back. When I talk slowly, it's because I'm looking for the promo. Here we go. Hey, everyone. This is Les Stroud, and I am still surviving out in the bush. As a matter of fact, I'm walking my dog in the snow while I say this. I've also got lots of new Survivor Man shows coming on TV, and I'm really proud of the fact that my new book, along with the photography of Laura Baumier, is called Beyond Survivor Man, which is going to take you behind the scenes of how I made the series Beyond Survival. Got lots more coming, more books, more content tours, more Survivor Man. And you're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. And we're back, and we are going to be speaking with... Codename, it's not his real name, Codename Johnny Walker, about the book Codename Johnny Walker, which is co-written with Jim DeFelice. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, Jim. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, it's close enough, as long as there's no dirty words in there. Oh, there you go. It. And I want to say, hello, Jim, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Very well. And we do have Codename Johnny Walker. Hello, Johnny. Hi, how are you, sir? Very nice to meet you. Uh, this is a story, an extraordinary story, of an Iraqi, now an American, who risked everything to fight with the U.S. Navy SEALs. Uh, so maybe we'll start with Johnny. Johnny, let, let's go in chronological order. Let's talk about your book, A Wonderful Story, A True Story. In fact, I should play some jingles. Here we go. Nonfiction. But I also got to play this one. <laughs> Our war jingle is a little bit, uh, it's not very too serious. Long. Yeah, it's a little it's bit got a little beat to it. It's a little bit long, too. But, uh, Johnny, you were a translator in the, uh, the most recent Iraq war. Uh, Correct. Tell us what happened. What made you work with the Americans? Uh, at what point did you say, I'm going to work with the Americans? So, for like maybe at the beginning, there is only two reasons. One of the reasons, I'm like 92 centimeters by tall, so I find my, myself when I'm a teenager, I play basketball. And right. you play basketball, you love American basketball, you know? So, from that time, I have that small dream about American 
you know, all this kind of teenager dream. So long story short, when the American came to my country, which is my city, Mosul, I want to work for that, my small dream, and also I want to make money. Of course. And I'm sure that money was scarce during the, when the war started. Yep. And at that time, I have no job, and I have my kids and my wife and my mom, brothers, and I need to support them. So I, uh, I tried my best to get that job. So, so, Johnny, you did most of your action in the second Iraq war with the SEALs. Uh, you were not involved at all in the first war with Bush Sr. Well, jo- Johnny was actually in the, uh, in the Army in that first war. Okay. Um, didn't really do all that much, did you, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> and, you know, like I just look at to the people, they try to shut down the aircraft and with AK and it looked like, What's going on? <laughs> this is stupid things, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Well, you know, Johnny, uh, the, the, in the second war, uh, I probably knew about it before you did because my, uh, my family is from the Azores, uh, Tercera being the Lodge Air Force Base, which is a, a major refueling point for the Americans. And I got a call from my uncle about, about a, a 24 hours before the second Iraq war started, and no one knew about it. He calls me and he says, Hey, Paul... Uh, I've never seen so many stealth fighters and bombers landing in our island. I think the Americans are finally going to attack Iraq. They're done talking. It's war. I didn't quite believe him. I thought, well, maybe they'll just have a bunch of planes coming. And sure enough, 24 hours later, when did you find out that war was coming? I mean, from the beginning, I knew it. It's going to be war. And I knew it is going to be like disaster. Yeah. Because if you look at to the to the the power between the two countries, you can tell that you can compare Iraq to United States and to another countries, and also United States they have like kind of fair, honest goal to protect another countries from the dictator. So right. I know what it's going to be war, and I know what United States is going to win the war. Well, Johnny, you have nothing to be embarrassed about. If the Americans ever come north to Canada, we're surrendering. <laughs> but, you know, we, we know the technology difference and the, and the weapon difference. But, uh, Johnny, did, did the, the people on, in, on the ground in Iraq, did they understand, did they grasp the difference between the armies? Did they actually think they had a, a chance of fighting? Because I know in no. Canada, we would know. If the Americans are coming over the border, we would just put our hands in the air and say, we give up. You, yeah, our first you know, laser would be up in the air so fast it wouldn't be funny. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You Don. know, for for Iraq, I think is there is something you guys need to know about it. It's severing under Saddam's regime almost thirty years. They have no hope. Right. They have no medic. They have no food. They have no job. He's scared to talk with his brother about politics. So they 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 just want to welcome America to change the condition of Iraq. They, they don't care. Right. They want United States to win. They don't want a Saddam's win, and they know he cannot. Yeah. But under fear, you can say it's nothing, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. True enough. So, so uh, Johnny, when, when did you decide, I am going to work for the Americans? What, oh, what, 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 what caused you to, to think, I'm, 
I, I know you said it was, you know, economic and, and money and whatever, but what really in your heart, in, in your mind, said, I'm going to help these people? Uh, when I work with SEALs. Yes. And we have mission, and I saw him like they took all the risk to catch two bad guys with a lot of mortars, uh, ID, bombs, um, warehouse, you know. And this looked like I'm thinking with myself when we head back. It looks like I know myself. I am not stupid. Those mm-hmm. people, they came from overseas, 1,000 miles. They took all the risk. And I sit in my house with my wife, drink, and having fun. This is shame on me. So from that time, it looked like I'm start think in different direction. Because before that, there is no insurgent. I don't know if there's insurgent or not, but that time I didn't organize any insurgent. And from that time, like you know, uh, start develop myself, start uh, get more experience, so I can be more effective uh, for my job with the seal. Yeah, when when Johnny started, um, you know, one thing I think a lot of us forget is that at the very beginning of the war, especially in Mosul, especially up north, you know. People welcomed the Americans with open arms as they were finally getting rid of the dictator. And um, you know, then after, you know, after kind of the initial euphoria wears off, uh, you know, Johnny, like everybody else, is kind of hunting around to, you know, to support their family. Johnny was literally down to his, you know, his last few cents when he kind of stumbled into a job as a translator with the American MPs. And for quite a while, while he was working with them, you know, they're just going after, they're just going after common criminals, basically. Right. And, um, you know, so he's, you know, as far as Johnny was concerned, as I think he's saying, uh, you know, it's just a job, it's just a paycheck. And then as the insurgency starts to ramp up and, um, you know, there's a lot of fighting between Al-Qaeda and um, and then the, uh, the Shia militias, uh, you know, Johnny kind of takes another look at things he's working with the seals then and he you know he realizes that uh these people are trying to save his country and he decides that he should he also should should start to do that and that's kind of a a transit one of the important transitions that we talk about in the book yeah and 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 as far as the technology goes i I think there's a point in the book where uh johnny sees that the, the phones go out and then he realizes he goes downtown he sees that the 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 phone uh, interchange building is gone, <laughs> but the the fences are still standing and the sidewalk's still there. Right. I think that's one of the moments when, Johnny, you realize that the Americans are just targeting certain things, but they're not, they're not carpet bombing. You know, they're being very no. specific who they kill. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, this is one of the messages in the book. Like, is the mission when we have like a brief before the mission? The mission is not kill. The mission is make difference. You know, yes. in your mission. So sometimes, like I have a sniper mission, a lot of a sniper mission. I can't count it. Maybe we kill one or two. Right. And most of the mission is very, I can call it peaceful mission. And we win all the family. We take in the house, and they love us. So. So, whatever it's going to take me to make a difference with my people, Iraqi people, with my family, the SEALs, I will do it, you know. So, the point is, 
Seals, the goal is not kill. It's made yes. different. Yes, they're, they're very targeted. And Johnny, uh, before we continue, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to apologize on behalf of Canada. We did not participate in that war uh, only because uh, Canada, we figured out that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. So uh, we didn't want to participate. But uh, after seeing what uh, America did do in Iraq, uh, we probably should have participated and helped. So yep. I, I apologize I mean, on behalf of my country. Same Thank here, you. man. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, this is the point. Like right now, all the people, they should united against terrorists, against dictators. Yes. Because everyone of the human being on the earth, without looking his skin, his color, his language, his religion, whatever. No, sorry, John, Johnny. Uh, sorry, Johnny. We lost so, you. We lost you, you there because of Skype. Can you, can you start again? All the people on the earth? Sorry. Skype. So, yeah, like we should, I mean, all the good people, they should be united and help other people without looking to the religion, skin, you know, country, uh, n- nationality. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and help him to release him from, from terrorism and give him, like, better chance to live, give the father opportunity to feel he is respectful in front of his kids when they support them with food, you know, and support the future. Help mom to feel she is not house woman. She have his own dream too. Give the kids hope I'm going to be president. Of your state or of Canada or of German or Iraq. Let's give him this a dream, you know? Oh. Everyone has a right in free country to do what they can do best. Yeah. You know, in the book, you know, Johnny really, you know, we acknowledge, um, you know, America made, made some, made a lot of mistakes, you know, in Iraq. But, you know, but the overall goals, you know, were good and, um, you know, it was a struggle to, to reach them, Iraq right now is struggling to kind of reach the ideal of democracy. Um, you know, how long it'll take to get there is, I guess, is probably a pretty good question. Well, you know, Jim, a uh, spoiler alert, folks. Uh, but towards the end of the book, Johnny does does yep. give a great uh, Johnny. You gave a great idea that all of the leaders in Iraq should have to spend a month or two in in America, whether it be United States or Canada, or whatever. But just to see what can happen, what is possible. That's yep. an amazing idea. Yep. And I yeah. think that this... And Go ahead, Johnny. Yeah, and this is what I... Because most of the idea about the Americans, oh, you know, this and that, they drink, they have no... No morals. kind of things. Yeah. A lot of... With, with my respect, a lot of bullshit idea, you know. So it was a little, like when I came to the United States and I saw the SEAL family and I met Jim Diffley, I met a lot of awesome people. It looked like, oh my gosh, people, they should come here and should pass through same experience I have. And believe me, when they get go back to the country, they change a lot of things. They change, they change their ideas and they see what's possible. Yep. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. My, exactly. My, my neighbor is Ethiopian of origin. And he said, when we came, he came there, he said, 
I should go back and tell them what we can do. Yeah. Just from exactly. seeing, and he's a wonderful man, wonderful wife, wonderful children. They love being in Canada. And he said, I, I hope to go home one day and tell them, listen, we don't have to fight. Like, we can, we can do something better. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, let me tell you, what, yeah, one of the things happened to me, like, my mom, she passed away, like, a couple of years ago. And one of the SEALs, he's captain. You know, captain and SEALs, uh, we called him Abu Sam. He's active duty still. Abu Sam, he came to me. I work in fourth floor to support me. Hey, if you need anything, we are brother, we are your family. Awesome thing. He's been like maybe 30 minutes and he left. All the empl- employees, they are civilian. They look up to me. Oh, Johnny, that's amazing. You have all the support. He is big ring, this and that. I thought, he's my brother, you know. So 10 minutes, he show up again. And he speak a little bit Arabic. And he said, Salaamu Alaikum. Johnny Walker, uh, can you you forgive me? I told him, brother, what are you talking about? He says, I left the building. So he goes down fourth floor all the way to parking lot on the base. And he head back because he forget to shake my hand. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh. Very nice. <laughs> this is something, I mean, I'm lucky to happen to me in my life. Now you're, you know? you're, now you're not just lucky, uh, Johnny. Uh, you're, you're, you're obviously beloved by the SEAL teams. And they helped you so much after the war. I mean, uh, oh, they, they, you were like their brother. but It was a band of brothers. They loved you yep. so much. I know that uh, at one point, uh, the Iraqi military or the police came and checked your wife's house. You weren't there, and they took your life savings, which was like $10,000 and a kilo of, of uh, not, no, I was going to say cocaine, a kilo of gold. <laughs> <laughs> but we no. can keep, let's keep it to another show. So yeah, people, different, they start different show, talks. different show. But they took a kilo of gold, which right now yeah. is worth a bajillion dollars. And they took like $10,000 in U.S. cash you had, which was your yeah. life savings. And yep. somehow you still made it to America and they, they found you a house, a job. And those are brothers, my friend. You, you, you made only house and job. Yes. Because you ha- the people, they should know what they did too. So soon I came, I have like officially welcoming greeting with SEALs uniform. They took oh, me wait, to the where, where, Wearing their uniform. Beautiful. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. So they took me to apartment. They already run the apartment. And they bring food, everything. Next day, I have car. They bought me a car. They came to my house. And one of my brother's house, his, uh, his wife, her name Susie, she took my wife to Casco, 3000 She bought all the house need. Every month, one guy, he came to my house and take the bills. Another one, he's federal agent. I work with him back in Iraq. He came every time, like every month or twice or three times, taking my car to the gas station with gas. And thousands and thousands of things. Until now. That's amazing. Yeah. those Those are brothers. They don't yep. no, They don't do that for just anyone. No, no, no. Well, they, they obviously respected the job you did there, and uh, you were very. You, you took the initiative in many missions, and 
you you saved a lot of lives fantastic you know in uh, one point when you see this such a nice awesome people around you you just do your best yes to make him go home safe to the families you know same thing with me you know they make me safe and they make american journey goes through again so anyone who is want to come to america if you work honestly a little bit you will have that chance yes yeah yes. johnny you know you know the interesting thing i think about the seals is that while you know anyone in theory anyone anyone can work with them they you don't really become their brother they may know you they may like you maybe even drink with them or party with them but you're not really a brother Johnny, uh, the respect that they have for Johnny is really incredible. And I think that one of the kind of key events, when we talk about it in the book, um, early on while Johnny was working with them, he happened to be working with um, a team that had a kind of a hard ass, um, a very, very good leader, but really a hard ass. And um, he really didn't talk to anybody. Wasn't really very. Yeah, Jim, is is there a seal that isn't a hard ass? Yeah, this guy. Well, uh, this guy was a hard ass for a seal. Right? Right, okay, super and, hard uh, ass. He was a he was a real ball buster. But Johnny was out on a mission um, in, that he was leading, and I was supposed to be a, kind of a routine uh, Overwatch sniper Overwatch mission. And all of a sudden, they ran into gunfire, and uh, one of the seals who was near Johnny went down. Johnny ran through. A hail of bullets uh, scooped the guy up, brought him to safety, and you know saved his life. Probably saved some other lives. Uh, and you know, it was after that the you know the hard ass, the, the hardest of the hard ass chiefs said, "Johnny Walker is one of us." And um, you know, from that point on, I think they totally accept him. There there are other instances and, and events we talk about them or some of them anyway in the book and uh, and that. But I think that was one. Really, the key one. I mean, he proved himself in fire, and uh, they don't—they don't call you their brother just very easily. Oh, not at all. It's not a casual thing, no. So, so Jim DeFellis or DeFellis, how are you pronouncing? Yeah. Which one is uh, right, by uh, the way, Jim? DeFellis. 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 We're gonna uh, come right back. I'm gonna play a little audio clip straight off the Audible website, folks. If you haven't joined Audible yet, go to audibletrial.com/bookguys. You can get codename Johnny Walker for free for a trial. And most of you guys and ladies listening right now, you know you're already on Audible. Spend your credit today on codename Johnny Walker. Uh, it's uh, written by Johnny Walker, of course, and Jim DeFellis, or DeFellis. It's narrated we'll by Peter. Pronounce it right by the end of the show, I'm sure. DeFellis, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's narrated by Peter Ganim. It's only 10 hours and 31 minutes, unabridged. And I'm going to play about a one-minute clip right now, guys, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'm going to play the clip. Uh, great book. I didn't listen to the audio. I have no idea what Peter Ganim sounds like. I'm going to find out with you. We'll play about a minute of this. And, again, uh, Audible is usually a random clip, but here we go. Our route was longer and not nearly as direct as the route I had routinely taken with my truck. We skirted the worst highway with its onerous checkpoints, the cab driver's big old caprice bucking as we flew past fields of dust where crops once grew. The sun grew warm. I talked with the driver, but only half paid attention to his words. I thought of my family 
watching the road at the same time, looking for IEDs and Mujahideen and bandits, all of whom were common. Bandits were a special problem, known to prey on loan cars. A man who could afford to pay $60 to rent a taxi for the trip was surely a man worth kidnapping, if not killing. There's no way to communicate what this drive was like. Boring and endless, tension-filled and mundane. Knives could have been pressing on every part of my skull, around my neck, at my chest and wrists. I would have been more comfortable. I smoked cigarettes. Marlboros had become my favorite. Pretended to talk with the driver and willed our destination closer. He knew his business, which was much more than driving. When we were stopped at a checkpoint run by the militia, he used a Shia accent, smoothly talking with the guards and getting us through. He took a different tack with the army. We were still a good distance from Mosul, some six or seven hours later, when I gave him directions to a Shia district in the city, a place not only far from my house, but where I believed he would feel himself safe. I began to get hopeful. I allowed myself to think not only of what I would do when I got home, but of how it would feel to touch my children, my older son and my baby boy, my girls, princesses in their father's eye. I thought of my wife touching her gently, watching her from across the room. And then something was wrong with the car. We slowed abruptly. Vehicles that had been far behind came up and passed in a blur. What? I asked the driver. Had we been shot at? There'd been no sound, no explosion. What? I asked again. He didn't know. Something was wrong with the cab. Its speed kept dropping until at last we were crawling along. We were within sight of the city, an easy target for anyone who cared to try us. The driver kept going as best he could. Each time a car passed in either direction, I felt my breath quicken and my heart jump. Finally, we were in Mosul. There was no greeting or fanfare, nor, thankfully, any bullets or militia. Wonderful. Wonderful reading. Uh, Peter Ganim. And, uh, is he Iraqi? Uh, I think Jim definitely is. He knows him better than me. Yeah, he's 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 not Iraqi, but he's um, his uh, parents are from uh, I forget which one is from Egypt and uh, which hit from okay. I think Lebanon. He so. has a very convincing uh, accent, anyways. I would say yeah. pick pick that up <laughs> now, audibletrial.com dot com slash bookeyes, or if you're already an Audible listener, uh, if you're into the you know the war thing, this is a true story about Johnny Walker, codenamed Johnny Walker. Folks, I encourage you, codename Johnny Walker. Get it right now. Sorry, we had to, I had to put that clip in there because a lot of our fans are audible uh, listeners. Well, Damn. good. And, uh, you know, he did a tremendous job. He actually spent a lot of time talking to Johnny as well to, to try to, you know, understand not just, you know, not just how to read the book, but to try to get behind you know, the, the emotions and stuff Absolutely. that Johnny went through. And so. one day Johnny is going to be reading Audible books. I don't know, Johnny. Johnny, you feel like, right, you know, doing, uh, I guess, the next book, you'll do the, uh, the audio version? Me? No. <laughs> Not happening. 
Maybe drink, yes. Maybe have fun, visit another state, go to Las Vegas. Hey, Johnny, before I forget, if you're ever in Toronto, if you ever want to visit Toronto, I will buy you and your family a steak dinner. Awesome. Well, I'm going to book up a flight up now. You can book a flight. Uh, uh, I'm going to send you. I'm, actually, I'm going to click right now on, on uh, Skype. Hang on. I'm going to click in my... I'll give you my uh, work email. Oh, thank you. Anytime. If you're in Toronto, I'd love to buy you a drink. And, uh, Same thing when you are my city. I'm going to send you my address. And please don't pass it to the Mujahideen because I no, 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 no. have $50,000 in my head. <laughs> I, I was hoping I to have a, a, a local radio host here in Toronto. He's a Pakistani, uh, Tarek Fatah. Uh, he's busy tonight. He couldn't make it, but... He is wanted dead by the ISI in Pakistan because he came from Pakistan and he talks bad about the Pakistani government. Uh, he is literally wanted dead by the ISI in Pakistan. And I, I was hoping to have him on with you, Johnny, because he is a good Muslim like you. And uh, he represents what Islam is all about, like you do. You know, I don't know about that. For me, I just... Uh, re- represent myself and what I believe. Absolutely. You see, that's why you're, you're so uh, shy like that and, and, yeah. and you're, you're, you know? you're just the way you present yourself. You no, know, I know you're not representing Islam. No one is a, representing Islam, but uh, Tarek, the way he talks on the radio every week and the way you speak in your book, you really represent Islam and being a Muslim the way it should be. Yep. Whereas, whereas like, uh, like in your book, you say... Yeah. The, pe- the people of Iraq saw that, you know, the Islamic, uh, we call them fundamentalists, the Islamic, uh, the nut jobs, were cutting the heads off children. Yep. And then wondering yep. why the Iraqi people were, were supporting the Americans over them. And of course yep. they were, because you represented your religion more than the, the, the infidels that were showing up to help you. Thank you. Uh, no, absolutely. I don't have to. Do you have, don't do you have me. one minute? Uh, we have 20 minutes, my friend. Okay. So one of the mission, we have a sniper mission. Just let you know about Iraqi people feeling. They are so honest, you yeah. know. So anyway, we have a sniper mission. We watch the street. There is bad guy, build ID, explosive, kidnap people. Long story. So anyway, we saw like cops, truck, park beside one of the houses. And suddenly start sh- shoot that house right and the guys me and five guys hey johnny and the tr- uh, the truck left with the pickup left like very fast yeah they said johnny what we should do i told them i have no idea let's see let's watch that house so we watch in the house and we saw the family goes out and kind of calling for emergency emergencies or something so to them, hey guys, I think they have somebody injured, so we should like do something. And you know, we have to call the KRF, KRF until they come to us 45 minutes. It's a long safety process. And the guys that says, What do you feel, Johnny? Tell them, let's go now. Okay, let's go. So we went taking all the risk. And we figure out there is child like seven or eight, nine years old. She gets shot in her leg. And it's serious shot. And there is, you know, there is curfew. They can't go anywhere. So anyway, 
before we left the house, we called the care of. And while we talked with the family, the care of came to us and we took her to Green Zone. And she spent like a week. I stayed with, I stayed with her and I called the family from time to time, you know, just to uh, give him good feeling and let him be sure there's nothing wrong going on with her girl. And one week we took the girls back to the family and there is old, old woman talking about nine years old. She came and she barely walking and she says, you know what, Victor, God, uh, I hope my God uh, let you make victory against your enemy. <laughs> so oh, if you look at to the enemy, who is the enemy? Mujahideen. The Mujahideen is Muslim. Yeah. If we agree or not, they are Muslim. They use Quran, they use Sunnah, they use all this kind of things, you know. And this old lady, she's not educated, pray to us to have victory against them. Yeah. We, we succeed. Tell them, we succeed. Absolutely. T- tell them about the, um, the, the suicide bomber guy who won the lunch with Muhammad story. That's another oh. good story. Yeah, great story. <laughs> yeah, so we catch one guy, and, you know, kind of, I want to explore what's going on with his fucked up brain, you know? So I went to him, and I started chat with him. I told him, hey, what's up? What's going on? This and that, my name, I am Muslim too, this, what do you believe? So long story short, I told him, why you want to pump yourself, buddy? You, you are young. He says, I want to have lunch with, with Muhammad. So I look at him, it looks like, are you serious? He says, yeah, I'm serious. I told him, okay, did you dial Muhammad phone number and ask him if he is busy in that day so you can push it 24 hours? <laughs> So he's talking about the, the Prophet Muhammad, not just, uh, there's lots of Muhammads yeah. in Iraq. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> oh, and, wow. Yeah. So we deal with people like this kind of mindset and like cancer, like disease, you know? So you have to take the, the environment around them so they can, you know, start dying. Yeah, John, you know, uh, propaganda only goes so far, but eventually I, I would assume, and maybe you can correct me or, or you know, tell me I'm right, that the people in Iraq eventually saw the, the reality, the truth, which was that, the, like you said, the Mujahideen, which, what they call themselves, were killing children and people, and you saw that the Americans were trying not to kill children and people, and eventually, even the most uneducated Iraqi must have saw that we were wrong. The Americans are not here to kill us all, because they, they must have seen the tanks and the, the airplanes. And if the Americans really would, did want to destroy Iraq, they could have done it in the first three days. Yep. And you know why? Tell me, my friend. Because, like most of the people on, in all the world, they think the first enemy... To all the countries, is terrorist. No, it's not. Is the corrupt? Yes. Is uneducated people? This is the first enemy. Because if you give me country with a lot of corrupt and a lot of fortune and money, I will bring thousand and thousand and million terrorists. But if you give me one clean country, I cannot build any. One tiny terrorist with mindset ID to kill another people. 
So Iraq right now, all the government, Sunni, Shia, Kurdish, name it, they're corrupt. You know? Yeah. And that's why there is no security, there's no safe, and the terrorists, like I told you, is a glob when the environment is kind of helping the disease. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it nurtures the disease and it keeps going. But yeah. I, I think at some point in that war, you must have seen that the Americans were not there to blow up the whole country. Because, you know what? Like, from my understanding, working with the SEAL and one of the missions I told you already with the child. Yeah. You know, we are a small piece. I'm not a big fan of politics, but in this small piece, we help a lot of Iraqis, and they know for sure what we did. And they, they kind of struggle, you know, with Mujahideen, with corrupt, with themselves. But at the end, believe me, everyone here want to live with his dignity, which is freedom, you know. And civil war in the United States before 200, 300 years ago. Like one of the side, he feels the other side is wrong, absolutely wrong. Right now, when we talk about the history, we know who's right, who's wrong. Same thing in Iraq, you know, because most of the people, they look at the history like they read five lines, and this five line is five 5,000 years. It's not five seconds. Oh, yes. You know, so same thing right now. We look at the daily uh, things happen in Iraq, explosion, corrupt, uh, Romadi, Fallujah. It looks like, oh my gosh. But just give it 10, 15, 20 years old, you will see the result for the Americans, what they did in Iraq. Like Jim DeFelice, he said, they make a lot of mistakes, but, you know, they, they are not angels. They are human beings, and human beings are able to make mistakes. Of course. But the thing is, I'm not going to Iraq to make mistakes. I'm not going to Iraq to hurt Muslims. I'm not going to Iraq to do this and that, and which is like 99% with people I work with, I never hear him saying anything uh, uh, against that, you know? No, you know, no. Johnny, you, you seem to, Johnny's become, as we've been working on, not only since we've been working on the book, but I think even, especially even the last few months, Johnny's become much more optimistic about the Iraq's future. When we were first starting, Johnny, I remember we were talking, we were saying 50 years and then 30 years, and now you're talking about you know, maybe 20 years. Um, you know, so it's really a generation that has to be educated in not only in politics, but just in, you know, what, the pot human potential, really. Yep, yep. And, and like you, you said, Jim, uh, time. Time makes people healing and figure out the uh, freedom gate is not impossible. Uh, time like heals how? all wounds. Yeah. Yep. Guys, we're going to yeah. take a, a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll keep talking until... Johnny and Jim are sick of us. <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break, Johnny and Jim and Craig and Don, and we'll be right back. Hey, Paul. This is Orson Scott Card. I thought I was the book guy. Now I find out you're the book guy. What am I? Oh, I guess I'm just the author of Ender's Game. Okay. Book guys. And we're back. We're having a great time. 
with Johnny Walker and Jim DeFelice. Uh, I'm going to pronounce his name uh, right at some point. I know, if Craig, you keep thinking, if you keep thinking about his his name, it's a mistake every time. So just let it go, buddy. <laughs> How, I'm going to say Good Jim advice. D. We're back with Johnny Walker and Jim D. No, no, Craig, yes. Craig, Craig, Craig you, you have awesome a question. Name. Jim D and uh, Johnny Walker. Craig, you have a question. Go ahead, sir. Because yeah, my name is John. Sorry, my my name is Johnny Walker, and Jim. Maybe we make him like Jack Daniels. Oh, there you go. Okay, so we're, so oh. we're hang on. Let's do this again. Hang on. <laughs> we're not editing anything of this out. And we're back with Johnny Walker and Jim and uh, Jack Daniels. <laughs> and the first question goes to Craig. Actually, I've switched to Woodford's, but that's okay. <laughs> Craig Damlo. Craig Damlo, do you have a question for Jack Daniels or Johnny Walker? Yeah. Uh, actually, I have a question for both of them. Uh, but first, uh, one Johnny. Uh, this is Craig again. Uh, I have a question. As a, as a translator, how... How well did you do picking up the American slang? And and specifically, I think, you know, Navy SEALs or all military have their own language anyways. But then just on top of that, the the slang that Americans oh, yeah. tend to have. Or, or that Texas or, drawl. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you believe it or not, all this year I work with them. I never figure out how I uh, say, say it right. <laughs> like the slang until I listen to my son he's in like now <laughs> nine years old when he sound the word the vocabulary look like oh my gosh that's so easy so all <laughs> these years I never f- f- figured out how I say it right until I learn from my son yeah I guess that's I will the, uh... say I, I, I will say one thing about Johnny though he his vocabulary may not be the greatest in certain areas, but the one area that he is an expert in is uh, curse words, four letter words, and you know, oh, yeah. derogatory oh, terms. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he had he had uh, just a master's a PhD in slang from oh, so Jack, Jack Daniels, because we can Johnny, <laughs> what was the first swear word in American you learned? Fuck. <laughs> Very nice. It's still, and it's still going strong. There you go. Yeah. A follow-up so question. What we was have, the first curse word you did? <laughs> we have we have one we have one mission. And you know, long story short, we went back to the base and the owner of the base is American Army. Uh he asked us because there is some kind of issue happening in that mission. So he you know I am translator, and there is like uh, EXO and uh, senior chief. So, you know, I started with EXO, senior chief, and he asked me, Johnny, what happened? I told him this and that, and when I finished, he told me, Johnny, your English without effort is not going to be English. I will understand nothing from you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So so you had to have the F words in there. Oh, because that's how seals talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's helped a lot. Cursory. Uh, Don, do you have a question or should we move on? Yes, sir. Uh, I have one for Johnny. Hey, Johnny. This is Donald Holden. Hey, sir. How are you? Not too bad. Um, what surprised you most when living in Iraq and seeing what was going on? What one thing caught your attention that made you go, wow, this is completely wrong? When uh, the Mujahideen, Qaeda, and the militia, they start torturing, torturing people. 
and they are not touching people because uh, they did something wrong or they are uh, practicing serious and Sunnis uh, religion or Shia. Yeah. They just because they have different things, they tortured them. And I can't tell you one of the story. Like they took him to empty house and there is barrel in that house and inside the barrel, the torching tools, like maybe pistol, maybe AK, maybe bars, maybe pistol, maybe rocks. So you become one and they kill you with it. So um, in that position for 30 minutes, waiting what kind of ending you can have and your kids, your, you know, your family in front of you. So when I listen to this story, it looks like, oh my gosh, this is make me like run myself faster to catch up more information to put more bad guys in the jail. So this is one of the things. Yeah. Johnny, one thing that really hit me in the book is when you're talking about uh, later in the war and uh, the, the, the way the people in Iraq, Iraqis, were thinking about the war, when, when one of their family members would be captured by the Mujahideen or the Iraqi uh, government or the Americans, the best choice was always the, the Americans. Americans, because, yeah. Because, because they, they, you would say that, well, the Americans took them all. Thank God they're not going to torture him or kill him. Yeah, this is what, what, what they said. Like, you know, oh, uh, our son or brother or father, they took him some unknown forces. Oh, my gosh, that's bad. It's militias, Qaeda, it's Iraqi army. Iraqi army, Iraqi cops mean money and maybe involved with militia too. Yeah. So all of them, they are super attention for these names. Yeah. And when they says American forces, all of them, oh, are you kidding He's good. He's you know? okay, yeah. I, I swear to God, this is like exactly what I hear from not only one person, a lot of person. So, so regardless of the propaganda, and I know we, we get American propaganda here in Canada. We get Canadian propaganda. Uh, in, uh, in Canada, we have the Canadian government has one, one station on TV. We have uh, Bell, two corporations. That's all of our media. And yeah. we know it's propaganda, but... The reality is that in Iraq, you knew that if the Americans took you, deeds, not words, not propaganda, but the actual actions, you knew that when the Americans took someone, they were treated well. You knew if the Iraqi uh, government took them, they would get beaten up or tortured. And you knew if the Mujahideen took them, they would get killed. So, So the actual actions of these people spoke louder than propaganda and, and I'm, I'm sure that that changed the, the whole war. Yep, yep. And maybe another people, you know, because everywhere we have two sides. Oh, what do you explain about Abu Jeeb? Some Americans touching Iraqis. Like I said before, is they are not angels, they are human beings, you know. And but tell me how many Abu Jeeb we have. For like, from 2003 until 2010 or 11, when the uh, American forces uh, leave Iraq, is one time, and one time, and all the channels on the world, they know about it, and there is court. 
No, no, constant readers. I don't want you guys to think that, you guys and ladies, to think that this is a story about hardship and war. I'm going to hit the spoiler alert button. Here we go. <laughs> spoiler. This is not a, a sad ending to this uh, book here. True story. There's a good ending. Now, Johnny, tell us how much the SEALs helped you to get to where you are now. And I'm not sure if I can say which state you are in. I don't want to give away your location. But I know that you have ended up with your family in America. So, so tell us, Johnny, how much the, the SEALs helped you to get to America. I know you got there in, what, 2009? Yes, correct. So, so tell us how much they helped you get out of the country and, uh, and establish a new life in America. So let me tell you something. Before I mention what the SEALs did to me. Yes. Only if you live in the United States, this is big gift. No matter if you get help with someone, if you have bad luck, if you have no work, if you have no job, you should wake up in the morning and say, thanks God for what I have. So anyway, in 2005, Master Chief Todd, uh, his active duty, we cannot mention his name too, yes. he asked me to move with them to United States, and they told him, no, my country need me, this and that, you know, kind of picture things, and he says, okay, I respect that. So, anyway, after, after two years, I went to my house, and I looked at my kids. They have no school. They can't go to the market. They can be kids. They can be human beings. My wife, she lived the fair 24 hours, especially mom, you know, and it looked like what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm working for my country. But I'm losing those. So I make that decision. I talk with my wife. And when, when I head back, I uh, talk with Tata. And I told him, hey, buddy, I need to move. Done. I'm done. And they start work so hard. Every seal, he worked from his side, no matter what, small or big, to just like give me that chance to move over here. And 2009, I came to United States, and from that time, living my dream. And let you know, I'm struggling. I have issues. I have everything. But you know what? Oh, hey, welcome to America <laughs> and Canada. I, I'm, I'm in the United States. You're one you know of us now. Absolutely. Now, now, what did it feel like getting on that airplane to go to the United States? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It looked like I'm, I'm, I'm in a dream. And the bad thing, if I woke up and uh, look at to myself, it's still in Iraq. This is my bad, worst nightmare is going to be. What, well, I got to ask you, what did you bring with you? Because my, 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 my dad came from Portugal, and he was poor. He had just gotten out of the army. And my dad told me he left all his clothes behind because he didn't know how people dressed in Canada. So he came with a pocket full of money, maybe 500 bucks. He came to Canada, and he bought his first uh, Canadian clothing here in Canada. This is 19, late 60s. So he came so, here with, with nothing, got a job, went to work, you know, built a life, bought a house, struggled, always, you know, in debt and, you know, have to pay this bill and that bill. So what did you come to America with? What did you actually actually have with you? 
so we we have a deal. We can have another show, so we can talk about how much money I bring with me, right? <laughs> you, uh, so, Johnny, you're so, welcome on any book I show ever. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Honestly, almost we brought nothing except like good and bad memories, yeah. because most of the people. Seals, they told me, Johnny, you don't need to bring anything. And Mom you got robbed. Don't forget, you. you got robbed too, right? You lost your kilo, kilo of gold. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's why I told you is. I'm sorry to remind corrupt, you. I'm sorry. Corrupt killing my country. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? there were also, Johnny, um, not too long before Johnny had left, uh, there had been an incident where someone was taken off the plane and Johnny was somewhat concerned that if they had uh, papers or photographs or yeah. anything that would um, you know, yeah. indicate that he'd been working with the Americans, right. that the entire family would be killed. So that was another reason God, that yeah. uh, you know, they had to be careful about their possessions. Yeah. Wow. But now, now you're here, you're struggling like everyone else. Well, the difference is I appreciate the gift every day. So are, you, are, you, are you still working training uh, soldiers and uh, operatives in, in America? Is that still your job? Yes. Yes. And Fantastic. It looks like, you know, I have kind of experience. I want to pass it through to the guys so when they go overseas, at least they can have something to survive, you know, yeah. something to make them better warrior. And how, how's your wife and your kids? Are they doing okay in America? Doing awesome. Doing good, my I'm, son. I'm so glad. With him. And one, once again, about- folks, this is a spoiler alert. It's a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Johnny. Yes. This is Donald Holden again. Um, yes, sir. Do you have you ever woken up thinking, "Is this all a dream? Am I really in America, or am I still yeah. back in Iraq?" Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of thought make so. Me, make me freak out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not kidding, Johnny. If you ever want to come up to Toronto and we can drive over to Niagara Falls or see the CN Tower, uh, at least one, one dinner's on me. Okay. Done deal. Very nice. I promise <laughs> you, first trip to Canada after I get my citizenship, yeah. I will, hey, buddy, need my dinner. <laughs> and I'm going to bring my family yes. and my cousin family. I'll bring the whole, the whole family. All, all people I know. We'll feed so them all. One dinner, he didn't say it's one family. Yes, but listen, Johnny, don't come in winter. It's too cold. <laughs> Johnny yeah. doesn't do well in the winter. No, believe me. neither do I. <laughs> I uh, it's all right though. The summer day in Toronto is very nice. <laughs> oh, summer in Toronto is actually hotter than in uh, most states. It's uh, so humid too. Oh, oh, it's crazy. But it's only one day, so it's not. Johnny, <laughs> thank you so much. For everything you did for your people and for the SEALs. And you are so lucky. Some of your best friends are SEALs. Those are the best yep. friends to have. <laughs> yep, yep. I watched yep. Captain Phillips, the whole movie with Tom Hanks. <laughs> that was you good. Know, <laughs> like, like the last book signing in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. You know, I'm not the type of person who love have to be presented by another people. I just want to take care of my business and disappear, you know? So anyway, I sit with table with Mac Norton, Medal of Honor Seals. And, you know, he know me, I know him. And 
my wife, she sit with me and we talk and, you know, this, the guy who's run this speech, he says, guys, I want all the people who is on the surface or, or retired, please to stand up so we can, like, give you more respect or something. Yeah. So I'm not on the surface or retired. I just said, I'm talking with my wife and Mike Norton, he says, Johnny, get up right now. So, Medal of Honor, make me stand up, consider me his brother, consider me, I'm still on the surface or retired, man. That's big deal. So, mm-hmm. I'm not lucky. Absolutely. I'm so lucky. So, Johnny, Jim, stick around. I'm going to say goodbye, but stay on the line. We might turn on our cameras and say hello. Thank you so much, Johnny, for everything you've done. Thank you. Amazing. Uh, I'm so glad you're in America. And you're struggling. Get over it. We're all struggling in America. <laughs> yeah, come Whether on. you're in Canada, tell me, Cuba. Tell me Canada, Cuba, you know, United States, it doesn't matter. All of us in America are struggling. Uh, thank you, Jim. Oh, you're welcome. Maybe, Love Jim, we'll see you again. Okay. You and Johnny are welcome anytime on Book Eyes Show. Craig Damlo, Don Holbin. This is when I hit this button here. Thank you, everybody. You guys are great. Guys, check out Folks, Ladies, and Gentlemen. Codename Johnny Walker. Go to audible.com. If you're not an Audible listener, go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys. Get codename Johnny Walker as your free book. If you're not an audiobook listener, go to your local library or bookstore. Codename Johnny Walker. An extraordinary, amazing story of an Iraqi. And you know, you, gotta, you guys got to change the book. Of an American, <laughs> a former Iraqi American who risked everything to fight with the U.S. Navy SEALs. Wonderful story, wonderful man. And here we go. And here's how it goes. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Don. This is episode 101. We're done. Soon, George Shavalo, the man that Muhammad Ali could not knock down. Take it away, Jeff Gurner. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guide Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. Mm-hmm.